I was raised Catholic, and because I was raised Catholic, I still do confessions, even though I'm no longer Catholic. So let me start with the confession. I had never heard of Action Society until this past week, and I had never heard of Ian Cameron either. But of course, Ian Cameron has been trending on social media with Police Minister Begit Trele, and this was after a community safety event in Jujule 2, otherwise known as Guguletu, in Ekapa on Tuesday this past week. And if you've never heard of him either, why don't we start there before I make any commentary in relation to what had played out? And perhaps let the man speak for himself as a citizen and as a member of Action Society, Ian Cameron put some facts to Minister Bekikrele this is what he had to say and how he said it, and then we can talk after that. She was murdered on the 8th of May in Kailicha. She was stabbed 100 meters from where six other people were shot five minutes earlier. No one followed up that case. We did, because her sister asked us to help. Do you know where we found the suspect? In the Eastern Cape. We brought him back. He is now being detained in Kailicha. We do that because we care for the community. We patrol for them. We give them training. I don't see you doing the same, sir. And I'm tired of the excuses, and I'm tired of you making this a political thing. None of these people tonight, when they see their neighbors being slaughtered on the streets, worry about your nonsense comments about the Constitution and about devolution. They worry about surviving, sir. And I would like to end off with this. I want to graciously invite you to come and patrol without a bodyguard, without a grand car, in normal clothes, with this community tonight. You get the sewage on your shoes that they patrol through. You have a problem, Mr. Minister, because you are removed from reality that the rest of us face. When I visit Mbukweni, I get out of my car and a three-year-old little boy is taking a poo next to the road because he doesn't have a toilet. And you know what? Police don't care if something happens to them there because they don't have the resources to help. When I go to the different gender-based violence tests at these police stations, especially in the Nyanga cluster or traditional Nyanga cluster, the majority of the detectives have more than 300 dockets on their table. 300 dockets! How do you think you can do an investigation with 300 dockets? It's impossible. And then, the cherry on top, and this is my conclusion, is that many of those detectives have 300 dockets, and it's a constable detective. He just came out of the college. He doesn't even know how how to spell J-88. You expect him to solve the problem. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people saw their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema, 
whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that song. No, I'm not going to apologize. apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. you but i mean you know if there's anything that's in heavy scare quote odd is that you might think oh my god here's a white person in a black neighborhood who is apparently caring about black safety right that's just a south african thought no don't pretend that you don't see race that's a thought that may pop out for you but beyond that there's really nothing particularly interesting it is robust engagement from a concerned citizen Whatever his skin color, whatever the group is that he may belong to, whatever his motive might be, purely logically on the basis of what he said, there's a citing of stats, there's an engagement in relation to the minister, and there is accountability that's being demanded for the reality of a part of Cape Town that, quite frankly, you would be lucky to escape without being a victim of crime. Not because black people are inherently criminal, but because the quality of policing across the country, but especially in our townships, and certain townships more than others, is horrid. And of course, the social and structural conditions that maketh criminality have not been eliminated by this government since 1994. Sure, there were legacy issues, but that doesn't cover your behind for 20, 30 years of missed opportunities and intentionally neglecting the conditions that could reduce crime in areas where crime is rampant. So long story short, I honestly think that if you don't focus on the skin color of this gentleman, all you have is an irate member of the community or ally of the community, engaging someone in political office robustly. And that is part of what happens in a democracy. I thought that's what we meant by concepts such as participatory democracy, deliberative democracy, and all the other colorful concepts you might have been taught if you studied political science. No, Becky Kele would have none of it. This is what the minister had to say in return. I did not join human rights battles yesterday. That's why I was sent to prison. That's why I was sent to Robben Island. That's why I lived in the cold water. That's why I ate bad food, because I was fighting for human rights. That's why today we have human rights. Don't teach me about human rights. Don't tell me and tell about the safety of my people. I fought for it. I nearly died for it. I was arrested for it. I was exiled for it. Don't, don't provoke me. Don't, don't talk things that you have studied and you have heard, you have been told about. I've lived this life. I've lived the life of being African. I've lived the life when my mother was called a kitchen girl, when my father was called a garden boy. I've lived that life. 
and I'm not going to take any nonsense of somebody who regards me as a garden boy today because you regard me as a garden boy. You come here, shut up! Shut up! Shut up! I sat here, I sat here, I listened to you. I sat here, I listened to you talking nonsense. Listen, it's your time to listen. Sit down and listen, young man. Oh, get out! Oh, get out! Okay, let me take a deep breath and now go into dispassionate analysis mode, if I can. The best to cut to the chase attempt I've heard to explain the minister's rant is that he was triggered by the fact that Ian is a white guy. I'm sorry, that is not acceptable. Number one, when you hold public office, you are supposed to be a a servant leader. You serve at the behest of voters, ultimately, even if your immediate bosses are party headquarters and the president that appointed you to his cabinet. But in a proper ultimate analysis of what democracy is about, You're not doing us a favor by being a minister. You're supposed to demonstrate deep commitment to principles of constitutionalism, which include, as a sub-segment of how our constitutional democracy is designed, accounting to the people. And this kind of forum is a classic space where you should do so. It comes with the job that you're going to be verbally pelted, if not actually pelted with stones or with rotten eggs being thrown at you. And here, all you had was verbal engagement. Could have been harsher. So the minister can reasonably be expected to do better. He shouldn't so easily be triggered. Number two, why on earth should we care for your struggle credentials? It is not a get-out-of-jail card into perpetuity. Once democracy happens, we must shift the criteria for what counts as successful political leadership. It is no longer acceptable to say, I know what the struggle was about. I was in jail. No one will treat me as if I'm a garden boy. Blah, blah, blah. All of those facts may be painfully true, but it's the wrong occasion for remembering the right painful past and never forgetting. But all you have here is a citizen entitled vis-a-vis citizenship rights, even if you're white, to ask you some pedestrian questions about your performance as a minister in government. And so it is a case of changing the subject to tell me about your personal or political biography. What does that have to do with the price of eggs? More importantly, what does it have to do with places like Kayalija and Guguletu not being safe enough for citizens to live in in the year 2022. It is a complete and utter red herring to be talking to us about your anti-apartheid struggle credentials. And it is a typical abuse of political biography when you are in the grip of accountability. So I don't accept that. 
Thirdly, what about this trauma thing? I mean, I was sitting and having a beautiful conversation with a friend of mine who's not an apologist for government, who is deeply committed to holding all power accountable, corporate power and political power, and who does important work in civil society. But she was saying, well, you know, let's also recognize that the scream from the minister possibly speaks to someone who needs to take time off and really deal with the depth of trauma. I say to that several things. I say, firstly, that cannot be the case because actually this is how Minister Trele behaves habitually. Even when he engages some black communities, like the moral wagging of his finger when he arrived in the Eastern Cape after the horrible tragedy that played out at the tavern the week before. The first thing he does, before he emotes and shows some capacity for crying with the families, was to dare to put their parenting skill on trial. Not saying we should shy away from tough conversation, but you pick your moment. And the moral of the example is that Minister Trele habitually fails to show the necessary level of emotional intelligence that is a key feature of leadership excellence. It is neither here nor there that Ian happens to be white, because we've seen this minister time and time again behaving as if his job description is to be pantomimic rather than to be a leader. He loves pantomime. He doesn't like delivery. And so to describe him as revealing historical trauma that resides deep inside him at a cellular level is to let him off the hook. Of course, there's a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder in the South African body politic and in the bodies physically of so many black South Africans, particularly the ones who are older than 50. But we can't resort to that kind of psychologizing every single time our leaders mess up. He knows better. He should have done better. He could have done better. But what you had was a display of hubris, someone who's drunk on power, who doesn't want to be challenged, and conveniently can cross his finger and hope that a portion of the population will give him discount just because the person who challenged him is white. I'm sorry, I don't accept that. Even as someone who is deeply committed, and my work bears this out, if anyone wants to challenge me, to writing against and speaking against white supremacy, which continues to manifest in South Africa in many different ways, I don't accept that it is a priori acceptable to shout down a white engaged citizen just because you're a black minister and just because your interlocutor is white. That is nonsense. That is not what the anti-racism struggle is about. So don't let him off the hook by psychologizing him, firstly. And secondly, be careful to misdescribe what the fight against whiteness is about. It's not a fight against every individual white person. And it is not a fight against the citizenship rights of white people. So I simply don't accept that. Which brings me to an interesting clip, and I want to critique here 
a journalist. Sally Bedette, who works for ENCA as a newscaster, tried in a very gentle way, which did not make it any more acceptable, but it was interesting journalistically, I'll give her that, to engage Ian Cameron as a fellow white South African to suggest that perhaps he should have chosen a different tone. Have a listen to how this exchange went between Sally and Ian. And I think it's salient to mention that she's white because I think she was trying to draw him into a conversation around one white person saying to another white person, maybe we should think a little bit harder about how we land as white people when engaging black people who have certain kinds of memory about how our parents, grandparents interacted with them and with their parents. Here's how that exchange on ENCA went. Do you think, and, and this is perhaps the issue that is, that is hard to talk about, um, there's, there's, a, there's a point at which possibly I'd like your input, where the free-for-all of robust engagement on what is wrong in South Africa and the things that need to change, where that robust engagement ends and white South African sensitivity to our history of privilege must begin. Are you, do you think about those things? Do you think that that could have played a role? Um, and do you think that as a white South African, you need to edit yourself and be perhaps sensitive to how you might appear? Or do you not subscribe to that in any way? No, I, I went there today as a, as a citizen, as someone that really cares. I spend a lot of time with these families on ground level. Just last week, I was with the family of Sikukazi Boy. She was dismembered and burnt in a trolley bin. I didn't see any intervention plan from Taylor there or from the police. In fact, that man that killed her was out on bail after he beat her into hospital. So mm -hmm. honestly, I couldn't care less what race someone is. People are getting killed at alarming rates in South Africa, higher than the many war zones throughout the world. Mm. And we have a minister of police fighting dirty politics, and I'm not going to get involved in, in race issues when I see people being killed at the rate which they are. So I want to say a couple of things for on in support of why I think that even though it was a journalistically fun, interesting, useful exchange, I think that Sally is ultimately on the wrong side of the issue. And I want to acknowledge she didn't make an argument. She was posing a question. But one can sometimes pose a question, but secretly smuggle in subtext in the question. And I think there was a lot of subtext there that, as a white person, just take a chill pill. Mind your language. I think that's bullshit for many reasons. Firstly, white people are citizens. Citizens have got citizenship rights. Secondly, as I've already said, and we can have a separate conversation about this if you don't understand the distinction, there's a difference between whiteness and white people. A lot of white people have got whiteness in their DNA because white privilege, because white supremacy, because white people are licensed to behave in certain kinds of ways and get away with it. But it is not the case that every single white person should a priori be regarded as someone to be completely shut down when they raise a question as a citizen in a democracy. It doesn't make sense. 
Because the real enemy is white supremacy, structural racism, and the end goal is an anti-racist society, which cannot be reduced to asking every single white citizen to shut up and to take a vow of silence. How did we land at that as the correct interpretation of what it means to fight white supremacy? And that's what Sally's questioning completely misunderstands. It is premised on a misunderstanding of those distinctions. But secondly, it is also condescending towards black people. What makes you think that black people can't handle a little bit of heat from a white interlocutor? I don't accept that. So you've got to be careful as a white person what it is that you are really doing when you are taking a vow of silence. Are you decentering yourself, which is a good thing? Or are you actually condescending to a black person, which is not a good thing? Your motive is important and the effect of your behavior or your lack of behavior matter. And I think you've got to reflect on that. Sally doesn't do that. The assumption straightforwardly is if 50 questions in the venue are asked by black people and there are two white people at the back, it is really cool for the two white people to be taking notes and to be listening and never ask a question. I would differ. I would say if you're a white person in Googs, don't put up your hand to ask the first question. If you're number 34, 35 and you wait your turn, yes, go ahead. It's not either you dominate or you shut up. There's a lot in between in terms of the spectrum of self-awareness of your privilege as a male, as a butch person within the gay community, as a white person in a country and in a society where the remnants of anti-black racism persevere. And so my beef with the idea of stepping back as a white person is that far from that being the gold standard of allyship, it is actually condescending towards towards black people if you're a white person and you, and you adopt that stance. And this is an old debate. I mean, this is a debate that goes back decades and decades and decades. And most recently in South Africa, probably about nine, ten years ago, there was a massive debate around this when Samantha Weiss wrote a paper how should I live in this strange place? Philosopher at Rhodes University, who then moved to Wits. I wrote about that paper in the Mail and Guardian. The Mail and Guardian then asked a whole bunch of people to write into that topic, Samantha included. And it led to excellent debate on the pages of the, of the Mail and Guardian, and also to a local philosophy journal having a special academic journal edition on the topic where people misunderstood Samantha Weiss and she corrected the misunderstanding in public is that when you want people to be aware of certain social facts about themselves like how they are implicated in a history of white supremacy and anti-black racism she never intended for that to be misunderstood as asking white people to shut up and take a vow of silence. I was one of the people who took issue with Samantha. I wrote a paper on this, and one of the many arguments I made is that white South Africans are entitled to citizenship rights, which come with certain duties and certain freedoms, including 
political rights, such as engaging in political dialogue. And I, and I still maintain that. But I think I can now recognize that that's not what Sam was saying. Samantha was saying something completely different, drawing on work that she has done in Aristotle. But I digress. The point is, Sally's engagement with Ian is premised on the condescending idea that black people in power are too fragile to handle Ian. Black people in power who are useless are to handle are, are unable to handle Ian because Ian is holding them accountable. And, and I think we've got to understand those differences. And quite frankly, it's important to create those distinctions because you're going to let people off the hook who have a constitutional duty to keep everyone safe, including Gugulatu and Kaya And we can't reduce accountability just to try and protect the feelings of someone who doesn't need to be a politician. If you can't handle the heat in the cabinet, get out, ask the president to release you. Second last thought, and I've always wanted to write about this separately, so I'm going to just mention it briefly. We have to stop obsessing about titles. The idea of checking your tone. Yeah, there's an important conversation to be had about tone and civility. But if there's one thing the fallers have taught us, it is that we shouldn't be too quick to fetishize respect of authority as an end in itself. Respect should be commanded by role modeling behavior that cries out for respect. What Taylor did was the exact opposite. He was shouting, crying out to be disrespected and therefore to chastise Ian is to be completely wrong-headed in your analysis. And then the last thing I want to say is, I don't care about the facts around Ian. You can tell me he used to work for every forum that is right-wing, that he loved, loves guns. There may also be other things that are true about him. All of this I'm now speculating, deliberately the worst speculation, because I want to make a point about what follows even on the worst possibilities in terms of this guy and what he's about. It might also be the case that this guy doesn't have any empathy for black bodies when they get killed by police in his neighborhood, let's say. Many things can be true at the same time. It is possible for anyone, black or white, male or female, in a community hall to have horrible personal or known politics and still ask salient questions of the person who's on stage. I don't know why we struggle to appreciate those possibilities. And so doing a deep dive into the background of Ian Cameron is utterly irrelevant in asking the question, is the behavior of Minister Begekwele ministerial and acceptable? I don't need to know anything about this Ian Cameron character in order to answer the question that I've just framed about the minister. And so I find it really unhelpful that we so often get distracted down rabbit holes that are not relevant to the nexus issue. I don't care about Ian. I do care about the safety of communities. And therefore I care about the job performance of Becky Kele 
he's far more important in terms of being implicated in the poor performance of the state when it comes to keeping you and I safe than some lobby group that is getting a little bit of airplay at the moment. So we really need to pick what is salient and what is not salient at any given time. But you know what? As earnest as this analysis has been, I I want to end it here, but there's a part of me that also thinks, ugh, fuck it. I do love the fact that as South Africans, our sense of humor gets us through the worst. And it's not a good thing because we need to build our communities. They need to be safer. We need to build the economy. We deserve better politicians. I don't want that message to be lost. That is my message to you as an analyst in this edition of the podcast. But I laughed my behind off when I saw the Kifness. Please follow the Kifness on Twitter at the Kifness. Um, or just Kifness. You can just search Kifness, K-I-F-F-N-E-S-S. I might be getting it wrong. In fact, let me honor him by making sure that I actually get the spelling correct because um, the work that the Kifness does is really cool. Yeah, it's at the Kifness. T-H-E-K-I-F-F-N-E-S-S. And um, this dude did a remix of Becky Taylor's Ridiculousness. And perhaps instead of chewing on my earnest analysis, maybe Becky Clearly was so ridiculous that instead of having listened to my podcast, all you should have done was to listen to the following on repeat. When my mother was called a kitchen girl, when my father was called a garden boy, I've lived that life. And I'm not going to take any nonsense of somebody who regards me as a garden boy today because you regard me as a garden boy. You come here...